This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but you can call right now, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with questions, comments, or concerns, maybe related to your plant material and your landscape, and the forecast Mister Kelly just gave us. And Brian, you're a sports nut, right? Yeah. And so, are you going down to the winter warm up? Uh, no, I won't be going to the winter warm up this okay. weekend. Oh, bummer! Uh, yeah. I thought that's how you get all warmed up. No, it's too cold to go to the winter warm up. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm going to take get it frozen. Yeah, I know. It's like actually, yeah, it uh, it does sound good to talk baseball this time of year, but no, I I won't be going. Uh, I am planning to take in some of the NHL All Star festivities in the coming week. Aha! Uh-huh. So next weekend I'll be. As a matter of fact, next weekend I'm taking off to take part in the All Star festivities, just to be available to do whatever. And I'm going to the game on Saturday. Whoa! So yeah. So you know, I think I have Megan in here next Saturday to talk to. Aha! Uh-huh. Yeah, well, that sounds great. Yeah. Much better than me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. For sure. For sure. So great. Are you going to the winter warm up? No. No. (laughs) It's too cold for a winter warm up. (laughs) I agree. I might get frozen down there. Yeah. It's it's cold, but it's warm in the Hyatt. So there you go. It is. I I used to broadcast from there. Did you? Yeah. The Garden Hotline for probably maybe three or four different years. Really? Yeah. Wow. Kind of a warm-up for the warm-up. There you go. (laughs) They know who to go to to warm the place up, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yes, folks, on Saturday morning, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard or that front yard, all those trees. How about last night? We looked out the window, Tracy and I, and we have a mugo pine. It's about uh, six feet high, but it's about 10 feet wide. And consequently... It was drooping, really. It looked like it was weeping. And that was because of the ice. And I thought, oh, boy. And so we didn't know what was going to happen. But then she went on to the uh, Internet and got the forecast and found out, well, it's going to rain and melt all that ice. So it won't be problematic, which was good. How about your garden space, whether it's for vegetables, herbs, cut flowers or anything else? And your houseplants, how are they doing? How about the what is a potting mix? And if you're going to plant some plants, do you use a potting mix or do you use potting soil or do you use just dirt if it's outside? Shearing and pruning, removal of bugs like those stink bugs. Last week, I think we had three different phone calls related to how to control stink bugs and things along that line. So maybe you got a stink bug problem. And I had an email this past week from a lady who has a, an ice plant, rose ice plant, and she has some brown specks on it. They weren't moving. She thought maybe they would have been aphids. I said, no, they're probably scales. So, and the best thing to do with on, on a plant like that is just, you know, wipe them off with a paper towel. So, anyway, my conversations and my opinions and everything else will hopefully 
make your final judgment on the action you take a little bit easier. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player today is uh, Cole. (laughs) I was going to say Alex, but no, Cole's in today producing. So when you call, Cole just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And then he'll get you on the computer screen, and then I'll answer your questions. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation where I can make make you uh, no help you understand what's going on with the plant material you have. Maybe you need to change some plant materials. Maybe you want to change some plant materials, so I can make a recommendations for that on how to take care of the plant material that you want to keep and. Uh, just, you know, pretty much everything to do with the outdoors. And then we can take a look inside and take a look at your house plants as well. I call that a walk and talk. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number is, where I can be reached. So let's get moving and move on to the gardening stroll. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Well, on the south end of this area, holly trees. And there's a lighted seating area with uplighting against a brick wall. Metal fencing runs to the north. Street trees. Oh, why they would ever plant sweet gums as street trees? It's like you're on roller roller skates. It's unbelievable. The iris plants along the way, well, some are pushing up some new 2020 foliage. The lawn is littered with oak tree leaves from a, blown across the street from Tower Grove Park. Whoa. Decorative... Brick wall. There's spacing in between it. Accentuates a three foot by eight foot sign, which is uh, says National Garden Clubs Inc. This used to be the Women's National Garden Club, so I guess they've consolidated and and took the women's aspect off of it. And it's at 4401 Magnolia. And looking through the gate along the building, weeping cherries, ornamental grasses. Ah, they're certainly well watered from yesterday and last night. Further to the east is the residence for the Missouri Botanical Garden director. And uh, behind this area is where the English Woodland Garden is. There's a lawn space in there, too, but uh, that's where I worked when I worked at the Botanical Garden. And then on the south end is the Japanese Garden. There are silhouettes of various shaped trees from very conical, which were probably bald cypress, to rounded ornamental trees were budded and ready. Hydrangeas were holding on to the 2019 flower clusters and uh, glad the rain held off for this, you know, time of the day. So I got to actually take a walk without getting drenched. And also the temperatures, not bad at all in the 40s. So it was a great day to take a good gardening stroll at the National Garden Clubs, Inc. And uh, anyway, if you've got questions, concerns, or comments, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Cole and I were talking during the break about how there are some giant puddles as a result of the rain yesterday. It really didn't seem like there was that much rain, but obviously there was. I mean, in South City, he lives in Bethalto, so... It was like in both, you know, both locations along like Christie Boulevard, where there's rarely, if ever, giant puddles along the curbs. This morning there was. It was just kind of incredible. So 
In a little bit, I'll be talking about uh, what overwatering does. In other words, rain or overwatering your plant material yourself with your irrigation system or your hose or whatever, how that impacts your plant material. But right now, why don't we take a call? And our first caller is Ron, and he lives in Edwardsville. Hi, Ron. How are you today? Good, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Thanks for taking my call. I love your show. Um, I think I have a simple question. Is there such a thing as grass seed expiring where it won't germinate uh, when you plant it? Yeah, it certainly could. It depends upon how old. That's why they always, if you've got grass seed, even that's just, let's say, one year old, they recommend just taking, you know, maybe 10 or 15 seeds, putting them uh, in a paper towel that's wet and put that on a saucer and just see if it will germinate. But, yeah, it can expire. It just, you know, it just gets old. Because really, yeah, I mean, okay. a seed a seed is really a live plant. It just happens to be, you know, let's say miniaturized inside the seed. Okay, because I, I know there's a bag of grass seed from 2017, and and uh, we tried to plant a little bit of it last fall, and it did germinate. So I just wonder if it's dead and gone. <laughs> it could be, but again, just you know, get it. You know, like I said, 15 or 20. You know, the seeds. Put them in a wet, wet paper towel. Put the you know on a saucer. And then just put it up in like a windowsill and see if, you know, if it will germinate. And that way you know if it's all kaputs. But usually if something's going to be that old, it's not going to be uh, very good. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Certainly. My pleasure. And thanks for having me on your show. Let's head now to South County from Edwardsville and go into, oh, let's go to uh, in the city. And uh, Andrew? Oh, let's go to Jack in South County. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> getting a little mix, mixed up here. Hey, Jack, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Got a question on crepe myrtle. Can I trim it and how much and when? Uh, basically, it's a summer bloomer, so crepe myrtle, butterfly bushes, uh, roses Sharon. You can prune those all the way up until the new growth starts in the springtime. So no, that's not even flower bud set. That's just... Let's say foliage buds coming out. So you got, uh, you can do it all, all the way up to that point. Uh, cutting it, uh, you just got to be very careful that you don't cut it back so severely. If it's a large plant, where you get it to where there's no buds really left on the plant. So I never really like, regardless of how big something is, to take more than twenty or twenty-five percent off at it. You know, and each year. So if you need to really reduce it, it might take a couple years to get the size down. All right. Thank you. That answers my question. Great. Perfect. I'm glad. And, uh, yeah, crepe myrtle are great. I mean, they're fantastic, and it's, I mean, they're all over the region. And I've seen some that are really huge, but uh, you have to realize that the buds along the, you know, the trunks, as they get bigger and older, really won't do too much if you cut them back too severely. So thanks, Jack. And now, uh, Andre. Andre. Oh, Andre. Andre from the city of St. Louis. Andre, how are you? All right, Mike, how are you doing today? Very good. I have a question about bagworms on evergreens. I've been uh, fighting uh, some bagworms on my frontline evergreens for about three years. They come about every summer. Um, Usually by the end of the summer, I've got them under some kind of control. I've used malathion. I've used um, systemic in, 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 in the soil. But um, this particular winter, I mean, they are still packed on there. And, I mean, I can see them hanging off of there. 
What's the best solution? Basically, uh, hire some kid, pay him 25 cents per bagworm to pull off. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what that is, that, that bag is just eggs, but it's so thick, no insecticide can penetrate that. Okay. So that's, you know, that's a real problem. So we had junipers in front of our house when I was growing up in Ellisville, and we had bagworms, and that's what my father did. He just paid us to pick them off. So that's the best thing. But what you can do is start watching it when the weather starts warming up in the springtime because those eggs that are in that bag will hatch, and then they will come out, you know, they will look like miniature, let's say quarter-inch uh, bag worms, and they'll be crawling along the stem. Now, at that time, they can be killed with an insecticide. Okay. So you could use whatever insect you can use insecticidal soap or anything, but just to the, nothing will penetrate that bag, and a systemic really won't do that much, you know, good either. Okay. So it's going to be a long, involved process, needless to say. Okay. All right. Thanks for your help. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, bagworms, once they're there, and each one of those bags can contain any place between 20-plus you know, eggs, and if only half of them hatch, that's still 10 new bagworms you know, out of each bag. And if you've got 20 bags, that's a lot of bagworms. Good luck with that. And uh, anybody else, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1100. When your ground is this wet, you probably want to stay off of it. But also, you know, you want to start watching out for those cool season weeds. They germinated last August, and they're really, you know, they can be pretty prominent in your landscape as far as in your lawn or other areas as well. They just don't go into a lawn area. So then once, you know, they're up like that, there's really not too much you can do. You just best thing to do is wait until... Next August, they're going to be, you know, producing flowers and seeds, and those seeds are going to be dropped, and then they won't germinate again until August. So consequently, you would be putting a pre-emergent down in mid-August next year. But what's happening now, the next thing that's going to happen is the warm season weeds, they, you know, are going to be blooming. You know, they're going to start growing when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. So that's you really got to watch out for that. And there is there is a lot of cool season weeds, but there is a heck of a lot lot more of the warm season weeds. So we've got a real difficult situation with these annual weeds. And again, they just grow for one year. They make a lot of flowers. They're not you know some of them are relatively large. Most of them are fairly small as far as height wise and everything else. And then they just drop the seeds, and the seeds just lay there. So. Let's now go to Dave, and Dave lives in St. Charles. Hi, Dave. Hey, how's it going today? Very good. Listen, I just got my license recently to start cultivating cannabis indoors for medicinal uses. And I was wondering, um, I'm going to be doing soil and, and liquid nutrients the first time. I'd like to think about going to organics later. But do you have anything, to, anything to, for me to look out for, anything to worry about that you would think about growing indoors is different than growing outdoors? Well, I'm assuming you're growing them under lights. Yes, yes, okay. LED lights, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. just make sure that you use a potting mix as you would right. do with any kind of annual-type plant that you would be growing inside under grow lights because okay. you want to make sure it's a very well-drained soil. So a potting mix right. versus a potting soil, and that's the best thing yeah. you probably do. Yeah, I was going to do a 60% uh, 
um, forest, ocean, ocean forest soil from Fox Farm with uh, 20% perlite and 20% worm castings. Oh, so you're going to make your own. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's great. So other than that, that's uh, pretty much all you need to be concerned with is just the quality of the, you know, the soil that there is going to be growing in because it's just an annual. I mean, that's just like any other annual that you would be growing in a pot or in a container, whether under grow lights or outside. So it's like growing tomatoes. Yes, exactly. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go to Glenn Carbon and see what's going on with Mick. Hi, Mick. How are you today? Hey, good morning, Mike. Uh, I've got a question about a jade plant. Okay. This is an old plant. It's maybe 10 years old. Big, healthy plant. There's a lot of new growth. But at a certain point, it seems like in the middle of of a fairly large branch, It'll just shrivel up, and four or five inches of uh, of the remaining branch will fall off. I I don't I, I have no clue. Should I be trimming this back now that it's that old? Uh, you don't necessarily need to trim it. What you can do is just wait until this happens, and then cut off anything that starts, you know, let's say looking or losing the aesthetic qualities. So this is just more or less a, a normal type process with a jade plant. Really? Okay. Well, I on on the piece that, that breaks off, I usually trim that up and replant them. Right. They, they come right along. Absolutely. So that's just something to look forward to, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's basically is how it self perpetuates its you know itself in in nature or okay. you know in the, in your circumstance as a house plant. That makes all the sense in the world. Okay, and I also called you a couple weeks ago about those hot shot. Uh, no pest strips, right? For the stink bugs and whatever else, that that's the ticket. Let me tell you. Okay, that sounds great. So yeah, that's one of the one of the uh, the lures that you can get those characters for sure. All right. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Yep. Yeah, a trap. You know, specifically for that. And folks, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. First symptom of overwatering or being overwatered or flooded is you know, the plant material can uh, have wilted leaves. So you think, well, if there's plenty of water, why would they be wilted? And that's just the case where there is no oxygen down at the root system because the water is taking up all the space, so it's all waterlogged, and that's what causes the wilting. So just understand that. So, And then after flooding or overwatering, the gas exchange between the soil and the air is greatly reduced because there's no space in there. The nice thing about getting a rain right before we get cold weather is the, the rain, the water is going to get down into the ground, and it's going to fill those air pockets with water. So, the, I mean, when the soil's really dry and it gets super cold like they're predicting, you can get some major damage to the feeder roots on your plant material. And that's, you know, where the real trouble is. So if it's too much water for a continuous period of time, that becomes problematic. But uh, there's not too much you can do. I mean, I had a uh, somebody actually gave me a call the other day and said, uh, you know, core aeration is where they take plugs out of the ground, look like wine bottle corks. And then after that's done, what that does is open up holes, let the soil breathe a little bit better. You follow that up with compost, which, you know, helps nutrient or add nutrients to your soil. 
but also helps keep those areas open. So she asked if coeration and dethatching were basically accomplished the same thing. No, they're totally unrelated to each other. Dethatching takes dead plant material off the surface, but the coeration actually opens up holes. So that's the whole difference between the two. So she said, if I'm doing one, do I have to do the other? They're completely different. So, yes, you have to do them both. Core aeration and dethatching is recommended. You don't have to do them both in the same year, but you can alternate years with it. So let's go now to uh, where are we headed, Cole? Okay, let's go to Terry. Terry in Edwardsville. Hi, Terry. How you doing, Mike? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Say, my question is, is that actually I talked to you a couple of years ago about a crabapple trees that I have that was doing a slow death. And um, I, I, you were right. They, they have insects in them that's uh, slowly killing the trees. Uh, my question is to you today is uh, if I remove those trees and all the gro- uh, roots from the ground, do I uh, am I taking a chance by planting uh, any other tree in the same spot? Well, in the exact same spot, yes, because just the wood aspects of the roots and everything else. But a few feet away, it shouldn't be any problem whatsoever. I can't treat the soil or anything to uh, to uh, uh, do away with the ant growth there or anything. No, there's really nothing you can really do that's going to make that much difference. Okay, so a few feet, ten feet. Things would be good enough? Yeah, that should be adequate. Basically, what Very happens good. is even if the tree, the trunk's been cut off, and on larger trees, the tree service will come in and stump grind the stump. You think, well, that should take care of it, but the root system will stay, depending upon the tree, the circumstance, and everything else, the root system. So, in other words, the feeder roots can stay viable for a couple years. So, slowly but surely, it's going to implode, but initially, it's going to still absorb nutrients and, and moisture and everything else. So any new plant, you know, planted too close to where the roots are can be, you know, can be impacted by the existing roots. Well, what I was going to do is I was going to excavate. I have access to a mini excavator. Oh, really? I was just going to, yeah, I was going to go down there. I'm a retired operator. So I was just going to go down there and, uh, you know, uh, extract all the root in the, in the ground. And uh, then I was going to bring in uh, fresh soil and put it in there. Yeah, just make uh, sure if you bring in any kind of topsoil or anything, you mix with the existing soil. Just don't lay it on top of the ground. Oh, okay, yeah, because there would probably be uh, uh, ants or eggs or anything on top of the ground from extracting the old tree yeah. and roots. Basically, you're just you know, you're churning it up, and you're going to make a better blend. If you just lay it on top, the compaction of the existing soil versus the new soil you're bringing in makes the existing soil very prone to erosion, even if it's flat and everything else. So just you know, okay. get a rototiller in there and get it all churned up. All right. Very good, Mike. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. At Camelux, we look out on the north side of the Soldiers Memorial. And I'll tell you, we can see, we can't see all the flags, but we can see the Missouri flag. And so the wind is starting to pick up. And if the wind is going to be like what they were talking about, potentially up to 40 miles an hour, that's going to be some strong wind. So... Some branches, if you've got some weak branches on some trees and things like that, even the deciduous trees can, you know, 
have some branches that give a drop. So let's go now to Robertsville and see what's going on with Carolyn. Carolyn, how are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you today? Very good. Um, I have two avocado trees that uh, started growing out of my compost pile. So I put them in little pots. And the problem I'm having, I've brought them inside now and they're under grow lights, but they they have constant new growth, but the old leaves just are constantly dropping off. I, I don't know what's going on. It's basically just a process. I mean, the lights that you have are probably as good as possible and everything else. They just don't really like, you know, growing as a houseplant. So okay. you're not, the reason why, you know, the way to really kind of look at that is, if you go to a garden center that specializes, has all these greenhouses and everything else, they don't have avocados for sale because they just they don't have a real aesthetic value. They're kind of fun, but you're not going to get too much else out of them. Okay. Now, I plan on putting them in my, I have a high tunnel for the summertime, spring, summer, and fall. But I'll have to bring them in, of course, in the wintertime. Right. So. They'll do good outside. It's just once we bring them back inside, even with the full spectrum grow lights and everything else, they're just going to mm-hmm. you know continue to do what you've you know anticipated. And probably what okay. I would do is when you move them out, maybe prune them back a little bit, see if you can get the you know get to some of the thicker growth. Okay, so there's just really nothing I can do in the wintertime, just but try to keep them alive yeah unless you have some friends in california you could ship them out there let them have them out there and then they could ship them back to you yeah arizona (laughs) oh that's good yeah yeah that would work too but getting them there would be a problem right okay all right thanks mike yeah sure my pleasure and now let's go to kurt and kurt lives in florissant hi kurt good morning mike um we have, I mean, I live in Florissant. We have property in Vienna, Missouri. Next to our house, we have a large shagbark hickory. Part of the main trunk high up is actually dying, actually is dead for a few years. Should I be cutting that out of there? I'm, I'm concerned about losing the tree, and I'm wondering if I should just cut that section out and do something with it. Is there a fertilizer? I hate the tree is probably two foot in diameter, Ooh. maybe 30 inches. It's right. a big tree, and I want to hold on to the tree. Uh, is there a fertilizer or something I can use around the tree in the wintertime? I uh, just don't know what to do. And then my second part is, is there any kind of fertilizer, anything a person can do to have like an oak or hickory to have more mass crop for like wildlife? Uh, basically, oaks... For the most part, like an acidic soil, so if you do use any kind of fertilizer on, let's say, newly germinated plant material from acorns or whatever it happens to be, make sure that you use a fertilizer for acidic plants. But that's really not the best thing to do. I mean, tree spikes and all that other stuff, you're probably better off just to improve the soil and let them grow in the soil. Improve the soil with a compost, which would have an acidic base just naturally in and of itself, as opposed to that. And the tree that you're talking about, it just sounds like old age. If it's that large as far as the caliper or the trunk, it's just there's nothing you can do. And certainly fertilizing is not going to help. So Okay. If That's you, what I was afraid of. Yeah. And I don't know what, you know what county you're in, but see if you can get the county extension people to come out and take a look at it. But my guess is it's still just an, you know, an age factor, and there's nothing that you can do that's going to make any difference at all. I mean, there's something, if you listen to the show, that I call deep root feeding, 
where you go out halfway from the trunk to the extension of the branches. You auger holes and then backfill those holes with compost. But consequently, that feeds the soil, and then the soil in turn, a healthier soil, will make it healthier growth you know, potential for the plant. But when something is this old, it's not going to make that much difference. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I enjoy the show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And, yeah, if you can get a hold of the county extension service, because they do offer a service to come out and take a look at a you know, your tree, maybe, uh, you know, if they're seeing it, they could say, well, do this, do this, but I don't think it's going to make much difference. Okay. All right, sir. Thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to Overland and into Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Yeah, I have it. Good. I have a pink nepsitis, and I have a giant one that's doing fantastic, and this is an offshoot. It's been an offshoot for like a year. One of the problems of this plant is the leaves will not fold open. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> How much light do you have it in? Okay, here's the deal. When I right now it's under a plant light, but it's kind of far away. Ooh, that's probably what the factor is. You think it's too much light? No, I think it's not enough. It's not adequate. Oh, now why would the leaves do that? It's just saying, what's going to talk to me? (laughs) Yeah, it just doesn't have enough energy or strength or whatever to, you know, to unfold them, you know, to the right, let's say, whatever dimension. Oh, okay. So probably a little more light. Because sometimes, because when I do put it in light, the ends of the leaves kind of They'll get, get a, yeah, if it's in bright, if it's in direct sunlight, but usually that won't happen inside. But what that, a lot of times, any kind of brown tips on plant, you know, on tropical type plants uh-huh. is as a result of the alkalinity in this water that you're using. So in other words, the water that you pour onto the soil comes up through the entire plant and ends up, you know, the, obviously at the end of the leaf. And then that salt content builds up and builds up at that tip, and that's what causes the browning. Gotcha, because I have potting mix in it and compost on top of it. Right. I mean, I have, I have a terrific soil, but I, that's that alkaline. So maybe if I get some distilled water, would that help? That would certainly, I mean, that would, let's say, reduce the chances. Okay, okay, okay. Well, thank you so much. That's very helpful. Certainly, my pleasure. Okay, you're welcome. Uh huh. Bye bye. And I think we're going to take a break in a second, but uh, I'll tell you, I'm looking out at the sky, looking west, and the clouds are clearing and the sun is out. This, <laughs> I guess, that's going to open up the opportunity for those temperatures to start going down. So, Mike Miller, K M O S Garden Hotline questions or concerns three one four. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Well, we really didn't have to worry about this circumstance, which the forecast you didn't know. They were talking snow, they were talking sleet, they were talking ice and everything else. But if you start to get a circumstance in the next bad weather situation where you get snow or ice built up on any kind of plant material, don't go out and knock it off. Even if you think these branches are really bent over and everything. Like I was talking last night when Tracy and I were looking out the window. Our mugo pine, it looked like a weeping mugo pine. But you start going out and trying to knock the ice or snow off, you can really do some more damage by doing that than actually what could happen as a result of the weight of whatever it is sort of like causing trouble. Let's head out to Washington, Missouri and go into Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Barb, are you there? 
Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I have a bad case of moles, um, gophers, some kind of rodent, I don't know. Uh, what would be the best course of action? Basically, traps are the best thing. So you have to, I'm assuming you probably have moles, and the moles, you just watch for the feeder tunnels. So those are the ones that are on the surface. They have lower tunnels, which that causes piles of dirt on the surface of the ground, but that is the main highway that takes them back to their sleeping den. But when you find or you start to see the surface tunnels, that means they're looking for food. You just have to find the most, let's say, the newest ones and then set a couple traps and then move the traps every day that you don't get one. That's you know pretty much the best way to actually get rid of them. Okay. Uh, any particular type of tra- uh, trap? Yeah, there's Victor Spear Trap and there's Choker Loop Trap. I think they're made by the same company, but I'm not positive. But one of them spears, the other one chokes them. So it's just they triggered as they move, you know, move through the feeder tunnel. Because if you, you obviously have a nice yard, or else you wouldn't have the moles in the first place. Because moles, their main diet is earthworms. You don't have a nice yard, you're not going to have any earthworms. Consequently, you wouldn't have any moles. So this is why you know this is why they're there is because it's good food. So this is like uh, fighting an uphill battle. Yeah, exactly. Oh, thanks. That <laughs> made my day. <laughs> yeah, for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mike. You have a great day. Certainly. Yeah, it's a, I mean it's a really a heartache and a tragedy. No getting around it. So let's go now into the city, of St. Louis, from Washington, and into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, enjoy your show. Um, I just wanted to ask, because I regard your opinion, what's the best time to plant, 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 uh, sorry, grass seed? Uh, the ideal time is September. And the reason really? for the, and the okay. reason for that is because the ground is warm. It's coming out of summertime. The ground is really warm. Warm ground germa- triggers germination. You can plant in you know in April and May, but what happens is you're still going to get the germination and everything else. But the ground is you know still cold from coming out of the winter time. Obviously, as we get right. more, you know May June, it's just then the plant material is brand new germinated seeds, brand new young plants. Then they're facing our summertime, which is the worst time of year. When you plant it in right. September, that germinates. Then it gets to go, you know take it easy. In the wintertime. So that's kind of the right. reason why September is the best. I, I did plant uh, a lady's front yard in November, and it looks great. Good. It looks great. <laughs> I, we put straw over it. It looks fabulous. But then I've got these pockets in my yard I'd like to hit in the spring. Um, but I was wondering what's the earliest if I wanted to plant. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. I mean, it's just the, if the ground's cold, the seed may germinate. But if we get another cold, you know, if, you know, let's say then the ground warms up and the seed germinates, and then we get another cold right. spell that can kill because it's young plants. Right. Okay. Well, thank. Oh, um, when I'm sorry, but when you talk about germinating seeds, older seeds, right? And you put them on a paper towel on a plate in the house, right? You dampen it. Um, you don't put anything over it. You just leave it open to the air. No, you could actually, you know, fold the paper towel over the seed. Okay. So that'll but keep how, it. That'll keep it more and moist. You, and you keep it moist until you see if it 
Yeah, wait for, you know, generally seed should germinate within, let's say, seven to ten days. And especially, oh, you know, okay. so if it hasn't germinated in that period of time, that means probably it's kind of, ugh. Okay. And you, do you re-dampen the towel if it dries out? Yeah, or definitely. You don't want, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, you don't want it soggy, but you want it damp. That's all you want. Okay. Just spritz it or something. Right, okay. exactly. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And now let's head out to Winsville. Shirley, how are you today? I'm just fine, Mike. How are you? Very good. Uh, I have uh, another grass seed question. Uh, I bought grass seed on the back. It says for fall planting. Um, it, can that still be done in spring? Well, it can be. It's just more like I was just explaining. Fall is the ideal time. So, I mean, I'm assuming this is a bluegrass or a fescue seed. Consequently, summertime is the worst time of year for those cool season grasses. So it could germinate. You could think everything looks good. And then it's faced with our fungus and horrible times of heat and everything else. And so that's where the trouble comes. What what I'm asking is, it says for fall planting, is that... A different seed than would be to plant any other time? I don't, no, I don't think there's any seed that's going to be. That was just a recommended as far as getting the best germination out of it. But the, the, I don't know of any seed that would be, they would tell you, you know, fall is the only time to plant. Because you really can plant any time. It's just okay. the, the matter of, you know, let's say success. Okay, I guess that was a silly question. But I have another one uh, also. I have a lavender plant that's about... Oh, 30 inches in diameter that I need to transplant. Um, can I do that, um, say, the next month or two? I think I need to do it when it's still cold. Are you, uh, you don't necessarily need to do it when it's still cold, but the pot, you know, are you putting it in a, a larger pot just because you want to? Because they, you know, lavenders and rosemaries and all that stuff, I'm assuming this is growing inside in a pot. No, this is outside. In a pot. No, it's outside in the in the, um, I have a like a hill sort okay. of in the back. Inside, okay, so and it's there. I just need to move it somewhere else. You just uh, and this uh, uh, a year before I had it uh, in one place, and I had to move it um, to another one. So it you know it's at least two years old, um, and I would I need to move it now, but I also would like to know about trimming it. Okay, you can prune it. I would not prune it, you know, when you move it because you're reducing the amount of foliage. The foliage actually is going to be helpful just in general. If when you move it, basically you want to wait till the ground is, again, kind of like with the seed, the ground is warm. So with an herb, if you're going to transplant it, I would say, you know, wait until maybe uh, early April, maybe mid-April, do it at that time. Okay. All right. Very good. Yeah, and Joe, you know, just wait until if some of the branches die off or whatever, just cut those off. But don't just do any kind of just general pruning. It's not it's not going to be a benefit to to the lavender at all. So okay, sorry for all my right. my confusion on thinking it was in a pot because definitely if it was in a pot, I'd say don't bother doing that. But thanks, Shirley, and thanks to everybody for calling in the first hour. We do have another hour of the Garden Hotline, so three one four. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Remember, you know, if you haven't done it, to check your summertime bulbs that you have in storage in bags or boxes or whatever it happens to be. 
So your elephant ears, your caladiums, your cannas, your dahlias, all that stuff. And just uh, check them to make sure they're okay. And if you've got any that are rotted or soft, just get rid of them. And uh, your lawn is going to, you know, it's a tough time for your lawns just in general because of our screwball weather. And so don't get into a panic because the cool season lawns are going to do a heck of a lot better than your, well, your fescues and your bluegrasses. Yes, those cool season. And your zoysia is basically asleep. So it's not going to have an impact on the plant material, regardless of how cold it is or anything else. But what's going to happen, as I talked about earlier, is the cool season weeds are really going to get more and more aggressive as the weather starts warming up. So even though it's a cool season weed, it's still going to be germinating seeds, and then that they compete with your regular lawn for nutrients, moisture, and everything else. So that's what the sort of the bad side of, let's say, um, Weeds are. So watch out for violets as well. Watch out for dandelions. Both those two things are very disruptive as far as, you know, the ability of the plant material, your lawn plants, each one of the, I mean, it is blades, but it is just a plant. So any kind of competition is not good, but realistically, you're not going to get rid of all the problems in your lawn. It's just virtually impossible. So whether it's cool season weeds, whether it's warm season weeds, whether it's perennial weeds or not. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. We'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. So, Mr. Kelly, before you get away, Yo. uh, I don't have a thing to say to you. So you Really? So I can leave? How yeah. about how cold it is? How cold is it? It's getting cold. It's Well, it's 48 now. Oh, my God, that's but it, cold. But it's going to get cold, so just uh, you know, stay warm. I guess. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I wore two shirts, a T-shirt under this shirt. You still have shorts on. Of course. Are you wearing shoes or sandals? No, no, regular shoes. Regular shoes. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, I feel this studio feels hot to me. Really? Yeah. Well, so. you're hot, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how to tell you that, but. Uh, yeah, I'm hot like compost. Oh. <laughs> A big pile of it. <laughs> oh, steaming. <laughs> well, thanks. Need to work on your self-talk. <laughs> you mean my cell phone? <laughs> anyway, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selections, caring for ups and downs related to your annuals, your bulbs, your edibles, your ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. Speaking of edibles, I last week I took a good gardening stroll in a you know one of those community garden type things, and boy, they they had some cool season vegetables, edibles. And uh, but they had been damaged, so even though they're cool season, sometimes they don't do so well. But I like sharing my thoughts. But please remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Then across the big board is Cole. He's producing today, and so when you call. Just give him your first name and where you're calling from, and that's all he needs. During the week, I spend time doing landscape consulting where I can come to your home, talk about how to take care of the plant material you have, 
And maybe this plant is not the best thing for you, but why don't you consider putting a different type of plant in that location? Or you should, you know, if you're going to grow this type of plant, you should get a soil test done. You keep hearing me talk soil test, soil test, soil test. Uh, somebody uh, actually sent me an email. He had some evergreens removed from a space. And he was wondering if he could grow lawn there or if he could grow some other plants. I said, stop the whole guessing game and just simply go and get a soil test done and find out what there is there as far as soil pH, nutrients, and everything else, rather than just guessing. I mean, it's just, it makes sense to find out what's going on before you spend mental money and real money on making some changes to your landscape. I call these landscape consultations. Uh, walk and talk. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my f- email and phone number. So we can talk about all kinds of things, care, maintenance, and I can do a quick sketch as far as, you know, for an area that you want to have a design done. So the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 344. Tip of the trial goes out to the Missouri Botanical Garden today. Coming up real soon, well, in another couple weeks, uh, February 1st, the Orchid Show is going to be opening up. So it has a Mayan inspired. So, wow, that's big temples and stuff like that. So it'll be real interesting to see. That runs from February 1st to March 22nd. The neat thing is on February 13th, I believe that's Valentine's Day, you can go to the Orchid Show at the Botanical Garden in the evening and have dinner and drinks and have nighttime viewing of the Orchid Show. Then also on March 5th, they do have a nighttime evening, you know, where you can go to the Botanical Garden and see the Orchid Show at night. So completely different. That's a neat thing. And uh, speaking of the Botanical Garden, too, when I took my good gardening stroll this morning, I drove by the garden and (laughs) it's, it's, you know, I have a very closeness to it because I work there and everything else. But the way they have the Climatron lit up now, it's really very nice. I like it a lot. Other things going on at the garden besides the Orchid Show, upcoming in April is going to be something called origami. Origami is a Japanese word for folding, and usually it means folding paper. And so they have all these things that are very elaborate and things like that. But this is an origami exhibit that's going to be big. I mean, there's 20 large, and one is 25 feet. And it's metal versus paper. So you can see flying birds. You can see stainless steel piece cranes, uh, painted peonies, and all kinds of other things as well. So that's going to be coming up in April at the Botanical Garden. So it's origami, but it's not origami in a classic sense that it's, it's metal. So this couple, a husband and wife, have put this whole thing together. It's been to several botanical gardens already, and it's coming here in April for a couple months. So it should be, it'll be probably spread out all through the botanical garden grounds. And like I said, they are some very big ones. So tip of the trial goes out to the botanical garden for the origami special that's coming up and also for the orchid show, which is going to be just in two weeks or so. So, again, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Why don't we get a call in before we take break? And let's go to Richard, and he lives in South County. Hi, Richard. How you doing, Mike? Very I have good. a question. 
I have uh, what they call a swamp willow tree. It's about uh, six foot tall. I have it in a, uh, a big, like, uh, container. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, I want to plant it in the ground. What's the best way to do that? Uh, basically. So what's the area to plant it in? Uh, you mean what kind of spot, location? Yes. Uh, if you got a lower spot in your landscape, that would be the ideal place. So uh, that's, I mean, swamp it means it likes water. It's going to absorb a lot of water. And also what that means is as it gets bigger, it's going to be pretty much impossible for anything to grow underneath it. So you're not going to have ground covers. You're not going to have a lawn or anything as it gets larger and larger. Yeah, I have a place in my house in, in, uh, in my backyard. It's on a hill and the water comes down. Uh, drains that way, and uh, would that be a good spot? Uh, just so the you know, I, that probably should be adequate. If it was you know a spot where water sat, that would be ideal. On a hillside, it'll probably do okay. Okay, great. All right, uh, and one other question: I have a, a weeping uh, cherry tree. Also, it's potted and it's on my patio. Could I leave that in the pot, or should I? Uh, Add more dirt to it or, or what? Don't add any more dirt to it. How long has it been in this pot? Did you just buy it like last year? Uh, or something? Uh, yeah, from last year. Yeah. Uh, I would probably leave it in that pot for a couple years if you want to. And then you can grow them as a containerized plant. But uh, don't get into a real panic as far as getting into a larger pot immediately or even within the first couple years. You're better off just to kind of leave it alone. And then once you start okay. to see some roots coming out of the bottom drainage holes, that's a time when you're going to be putting it in a larger pot. And the larger pot would be probably just one to two inches bigger than the current one. Yeah, it, uh, right now it's in a pretty large pot. Yeah, it's, usually it's a pot. probably a five-gallon pot or something like that. So it's going to be a larger pot or maybe it's just a three-gallon. But anyway, just leave it in that pot for a couple of years. Okay, great. I just want to uh, make sure it, it would survive. Like yeah, that. it should be fine. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I mean, they are tough. I mean, that's not to say we couldn't have, like, with this crazy weather where it's going to get down, you know, near zero probably as far as the wind chills go. It could be damaged, but for the most part, they can survive in pots for several years. Another question is, too, um, I, I noticed because I have another uh, weeping cherry tree on my patio, and uh, it's a large one, and... And this also happens to the small one, too. Some kind of insects attack them and puts, uh, bites a bunch of holes into the leaves. Uh, just, you're just going to have to watch what it is as far as the insect. I can't see them. It could be. Uh, yeah, you have to look on the underside of the leaf. It probably is. It could be Japanese beetles. That would be my guess. Mm -hmm. So yeah. in, when, when the weather starts getting warm in, let's say, mid-May or so, start watching for the Japanese beetles. Yeah, it seems like it happens right after they flower. The flowers drop. Right, exactly. When the because the Japanese beetles will stay, let's say, dormant until after that, when the weather, the ground warms up, then they'll emerge and cause problems. Ah, I see. So, what's a good thing to spray on? Uh, Japanese beetles, pretty much any kind of insecticide will get them under control, but you have to hit them directly with the insecticide. So you can't just oh. sort of randomly spray. And also. You know, look earlier in the morning and later in the day because a lot of times insects don't do their damage or don't do the feeding on the foliage or whatever it happens to be in the heat of the day. So early morning, later in the day, that's the best time to, t you know, to take a look. Okay. All right. 
Yeah, because I've been have I had that trouble every year with the with the weeping willow trees. Right. So yeah. uh, you know, my guess is that's probably it. And Japanese beetles are pretty obvious. So just um, if it's not that, just uh, maybe just just watch them. You know, kind of close as soon as the weather starts warming up. And again, on the underside of leaf and along the you know the twigs too. Not just, you know, the leaves and look for whatever kind of insect it is. If you can't tell what it is, just get a couple of them, take it to your favorite garden center, and they'll let you know. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. And then, Have you know, insect yeah. control also with a systemic type insecticide could help, you know, reduce some of the, the foliage damage. Mike Miller, K M O S Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. For the last couple of weeks, I've been telling people it's not a good idea to be pruning on your beech trees, your birch trees, and your maple trees. But if you were in an area where you were going to tap your maple tree to get the sap so you can make some maple syrup, this would be the month, you know, this month and next month, that's when you would do it. And that's why you don't want to prune this time of year because there is going to be so much sap flow. It could, like, reduce, let's say, overall strength of your birch, beech, or maple tree. So that's why don't do any pruning. Summertime is a time to prune those particular plants. Let's go now to Tom, and Tom lives in St. Louis. Hi, Tom. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Got a question. We've got a rather large backyard, and we've got an area of, Far back in the back corner, that's always been a, you know, you've always had to cut the brush out of it all the time, you know, because of the growth. And, uh, so I've got everything out of there, and we're going to go in there here pretty soon and just dig up the and pull up the the roots of all that, so it won't grow back. But we've got a couple of trees that we're gonna uh, we're going to be cutting down, and I've got somebody that wants the the wood from the trees for their wood burning furnace. But my question is, is the branches, the smaller stuff, we're going to have to find something to do with it. We're thinking about getting a a chipper, but uh, is there a place to take that stuff that will take that or wants that? Or my other thought was, was, could I just chip it in that back area and and put it back there? Because there's no grass or anything growing back there. It's just just an open area in the backyard. Yeah, you could chip it and just use it as a mulch on the ground. If you wanted to, just to cover up the bare spaces. Yeah, that's, you know, and I guess, you know, and, and as long as I dig up the roots or pull up the roots of those, I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about you know, those little small saplings that, that start up and then they get bigger because you never did pull them up in the first place. Right. Okay. Probably, so. probably some of it's honeysuckle and things like that. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you could just, you know, run it through a chipper. That's the kind of, you know, wood chips is what, uh, when I worked at the Botanical Garden at that time, the pathways were all wood chip covered. So that's what we had, you know, for pathways. So and it it will help. It won't help, you know, it won't eliminate the fact that other stuff's going to germinate and come into that area, but it'll help control some of the weed circumstances. Hey, well, because every place I've found, I haven't found anybody that will take the wood chips. Uh, Unless you want to pay them. (laughs) We got to pay them to take them, and then they're going to resell it. Right. (laughs) True. What a a gimmick, huh? (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's head to Liz's yard, and she happens to live in Chesterville. Hi, Liz. Hi. I need to 
um, move some flower beds. And so I have six rose bushes that I want to transplant. And earlier you were saying that to plant grass seed, September is the best time. Right. But should I wait until like May to transplant these plants? No, I would probably do something like a, a rose is a shrub, basically. That's completely different than seed. So I would probably uh, get your, you know, you have the location where you're going to move them to, get that soil ready and everything else. And then so sometime after, let's say, mid-March, all the way up until maybe uh, the 1st of May, move them during that time. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Yeah, but just make sure you got the soil prepared to move them to the new location. So, And if you don't happen to, for whatever reason, just have some pots, dig up the roses, put them in pots, and leave them in pots before you, you know, and then you can move them later on. Oh, they're, they're too big to put in pots. But, <laughs> uh, okay, but thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And anybody else has any questions? 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Letty, how are you today? Fine. Uh, I got a Norfolk pine and it's got four plants in it. Can that be divided? And what kind of medium do I uh, pot that in? The uh, base. It may be four different plants that were put in a single pot. It's kind of hard to tell, but if it's four trunks coming up out of the ground, it probably is four separate plants. But where the problem is going to come in is when you pull this Norfolk Island pine up out of the, you know, out of the pot to divide it, you could be doing some damage by, because the roots are all intertwined with each other. So you could do some damage to the ones that you're trying to separate. So that's. What kind of medium do I pot it in? Because it's in kind of really light stuff right now. Yeah, you do the same thing. So, in other words, you want a potting mix, not potting soil. Okay. But I would damage it if I try to divide it. You could. I mean, potentially that's exactly because if there's four separate plants that are put in this single pot, then all these all these years, however long it's grew in the greenhouse and however long that you've had it, Consequently, the roots get intertwined, you know, intertangled with each other. Then you, even if you get it nice and moist and try to pull them apart gently, you're going to probably do some damage. But if you do decide to go ahead and do it anyway, just make sure that you water it really well before you pull it out of the pot. Set it like in some kind of tub and then just gently pull the, you know, pull the trunks apart from each other. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go to Belleville. I don't think we've been to Belleville yet at all today. And go into Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hi. Good morning. Yeah, I have. I noticed a couple of months ago that my lawn has at least a dozen holes in it. And at first, uh, I I didn't have any idea. There's no buildup around the hole of of soil, and they're about an inch and a half round. And last uh, summer, I found one of these holes, and I put a hose down in it, thinking that whatever is down in that hole, I'm going to drown, and it's going to come out. I let that hose run for at least 10, 15 minutes, and nothing came out anywhere, any place in the lawn. So I'm I'm just, you know, first I thought it might be wasps making holes, but that's not true. It's something else that's making these holes and they're they're deep they're not just a couple inches deep they go down into the ground who knows how far do you have any idea what that might be my guess is probably some kind of wildlife that's coming into your yard and they're digging trying to find something to eat 
be it grubs. So I don't know if you have skunks in that area, but the, my guess is something along that line. No, I don't have any skunks, and I have a lot of squirrels, though. Of course, yeah. I don't have any skunk tree. Yeah, they're uh, generally not going to dig that deep. Squirrels just yeah. You know, that's so. what I was wondering when I stuck the hose down in there and let water run into it full force. Water never came back up through that hole, and I didn't see it anyplace else in the yard. Well, that means you got really well-drained soil. So <laughs> so it doesn't really have anything to do with that. It's probably, you know, I'm still thinking it's some kind of wildlife. What it is exactly, I'm not exactly, you, know, you know, what it is, I don't know. But that that would be more so, yeah, wasp holes are about, you know, a quarter to a half inch big. That's all they are, like ground hornets okay. and things like that. Yeah, so right. this has got to be some kind of animal that's doing that. And my second question is, I have boxwoods uh, right next to a, a sidewalk, and I've got to redo the sidewalk. I've got to tear it up. They want me to take the boxwoods out completely because they say they're in the way. They overhang the sidewalk a little bit. Can I cut those boxwoods down to about a foot and expect them to grow up again? How big are they right now? Well, they're about three and a half feet Right now. No, if you cut them down to a foot, they're never going to do anything. Okay, they will not come back. But you could dig them up and, you know, if you got a spot in your yard and put them, you know, put them in this location away from where they're actually doing the construction and everything else and cover them with, you know, a combination of potting soil or not potting soil. I mean, topsoil and compost and then just leave them there. Make sure you keep them watered and then you can move them back. Okay. Yeah, that's an idea. I can try that. Okay, thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, and again, don't do any pruning on them at all until, you know, when they move them back to the location. If any branches start dying off, cut those out. Well, should you know, that's another thing I'm pruning. I have some river birch trees. They're a very twiggy tree. Right. And last night, a lot of branches broke off of them because of the wind. When can you prune that tree? When can you start taking out those branches? Well, the birch, beech, and maple trees, summertime is the best time to prune those because you get less sap flow. Okay, gotcha. All right, thanks a lot. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Thinking about those holes the gentleman was talking about, there's two possibilities. I don't know exactly where the holes were, if they're out in the mid-lawn or if they're close to buildings or something like that. It could be voles, V-O-L-E-S, or my parents in Ellisville, when when I was growing up, we had chipmunks. They were they dug holes, but they, you know, there wasn't multiple holes. But it could be voles. And again, I still think it's some kind of wild animal, some outsider that's looking for food, and they're looking up near the surface. That's why they don't, they're not going real deep. So let's head now to South County and go into Kim's yard. Hi, Kim. Hi there. Are you able to hear me? Yes. I've got a. Uh, I think it's an. Would it be an elm, an October glory tree? October glory, that's usually a maple. I'm sorry, maple. Planted it uh, probably eight, nine years ago. It probably was about 12 feet tall, had maybe a three-inch diameter. Now now it's about 18 feet tall, looking really pretty, but with about an eight-inch diameter trunk. The question is, um, it's pushing up one of my stepping stone sidewalk pavers, and 
I was told that the one I have, it, it, the actual roots kind of sit above ground a little bit. And right. I was told that's not really an issue. But one of the root arms, and there's many of them, but one of them, maybe about a three-inch diameter root arm, is pushing up my paver. And I was I asked if I could just whack that thing off and if it would have harmed the tree. And I was told by one arborist, negative, it would not hurt the tree. What do you got to say? I say it could definitely damage it. I mean, maple trees have surface roots. That's just their (laughs) genetics. And, I mean, probably you probably have, like, all the way around the tree trunk, you've got roots that are laterally going out from that point. But, uh, you know, just by the amount of roots that are below the ground – is sort of equal to the biomass of what's above the ground. Let's say you reduce it by 10%, it could do some damage to 10% of the tree, the tree, not killing immediately branches, but just the overall health of the tree. And just realize that if you cut this root, that's fine, and it doesn't do any damage, but it's going to continue to grow You know, roots on the surface. You're going to have a difficult time trying to grow any kind of plants underneath it, and it will lift up pavement, sidewalks, and all that other stuff. So it's just a, it's a kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, I don't want to damage, the, I don't want the sidewalk to be a trip hazard, but I don't want to hurt the tree. I'm almost willing to take the chance to whack that one, uh, that one branch arm off or that root arm off. Right. If you're thinking, if you're thinking the percentages are somewhat low uh, to damage the tree, but regarding that overall effect, um, I'm, I have a really small tight backyard and I'm trying and I'm going to use some fancy words because I'm going to act like I know what I'm talking about. But uh, some of the terms you guys use is a global versus a pyramidal type shape. I'm trying to, because this tree is going to get pretty big and it's uptight to my house, I'm really trying to use it as more of an umbrella, like a shade to cast down on my patio because where I located it. And I want it to grow more pyramidal, more vertical than I do want it to umbrella out like global. Can I go up there and start whacking off some of the branches that are kind of the laterals that are running out horizontally? You again, you can, but uh, by just reducing the you know biomass, whether it's root systems or above ground growth, there's a you know there's an equilibrium between the two. You start taking one of them away, then it could you know sort of impact the other. So yes, you can prune it, but it's a tree that doesn't necessarily grow you know. That what you want to do as far as shape-wise, you're going kind of contrary to its genetics. It's like me. I have very curly hair. In the 60s, everybody had straight hair. I tried to straighten my hair. It did not work. So that's you're trying to make it do something it doesn't want to do. So you didn't have to pay for a $60 perm in the 80s? <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, one other real quick question I appreciate. Um it's, they look like Christmas trees, and I can't remember what they're called, but they're shaped like Christmas trees. And um, I planted some across the back of my six-foot privacy fence with the intentions of the area above the six-foot. Once they grew up, I wanted to use it as screening, but I wanted to whack up the branches underneath the tree up to the six-foot to, to give clearance underneath it. Um, when would I start to do that? Right now, they're probably about 12 feet tall. Uh you know, I'm assuming this is arborvitae. I don't know if it's, you know, what it is. But you start limbing up trees, and, again, you're just reducing the biomass, and it could just affect the overall health. All right. So it sounds to me like I probably did poor planting when I when I 
present when I pick those those type of trees to right. be put in that application. Right, exactly. Okay. Sorry. Alrighty. Well, I appreciate your help. Thanks, well, my, sir. Have a nice day. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head out to Chesterfield and see what's going on with Roger. Roger, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. A uh, uh, very quick question. I have a large bald cypress, and the lower limbs uh, are reaching out and interfering with uh, the growth of various plants in my neighbor's yard. So as a just a nice guy, I want to get them out of there. Uh, on a bald cypress, can you prune that, or do you just need to limb up? I basically limb it up. And if they're longer branches, cut them off in thirds with the final cut just leaving a stub next to the trunk or off whatever big branch it's coming from. Uh, the stub about a quarter to a half inch at the most. Yeah. And uh, there is, uh, on any other limbs higher up, it doesn't do any, if you cut them back, you're not going to get any more growth. I mean, like, this uh, seems to have no uh, no foliage anywhere more than, say, uh, the last 10 or 15% of the limb is where all the foliage is. Yeah, for the most part, that's you know kind of what you could expect. And that really happens with all the trees. You don't see leaves on, let's say, an oak tree or a maple tree or any other kind of tree up close to the trunk. Unless there has you know, been some damage and you get some sprouts coming off. But you just, you know, as uh, what, the, what the leaves do is they have to be in light. Because the light uses nutrients and moisture. I mean, the leaf uses nutrients and moisture that's pumped up to them, then they use sunlight to make chlorophyll, which is food for the plant. So there's no, let's say, sun hitting the inside of the trees for the most part. That's why they don't have any leaves or needles in the center. And once again, if you cut off the ends, it doesn't spur any kind of uh, in, any new sprouts off where you might get leaves Generally, anywhere inside. So, some trees it will, some trees it won't. It just depends upon the specific tree. Yeah, and this... I would think this uh, bald cypress is not one where you can get away with that. Right. For the most part, no. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, listen, thank you very much. Certainly. Let's go to Joe, and Joe lives in Maryville. Hi, Joe. Hello, Mike. Thank you. Mike, I I keep the tags off these trees when I buy them, and this one is a harvest gold crab apple. And then it says Hargozom technical thing. This tree is uh, all about 12, 15 feet tall. And at the soil level, the diameter of the trunk is about 8 inches. The other day I noticed that the bark is split from the soil level about 2, 2.5 feet up the trunk. Uh, The inside of the tree looks fine. But the outside bark is simply like it shrunk. It's split. It's split open from a quarter of an inch to a half of an inch, this two, two and a half feet uh, line of it. What has happened, do you think, and uh, is the tree going to make it? It should be, the tree should be fine. Basically, as the trunk diameter expands, if it, if what it does is the existing, the original bark cannot expand. So the splits that you're seeing, if you look at any other kind of tree, you're going to see some texture on the bark. There's a few trees that don't have it, some of the birch trees. But this, to me, just sounds like the expansion of the trunk was happening, and that's why you see this more or less split in the bark. Now, the bark is loose. It's The split is, let's say, a half of an inch wide. Right. And then it's sort of loose from the tree uh, about an inch back. That's okay. 
You know, okay. It's, it's going to be, it's going to have, for the most part, it's going to slough it off anyway, either in larger pieces or smaller pieces. Well, I got a couple other ones I didn't see that, but this is this is okay then, and the tree will be fine. Yeah, it should be. It shouldn't be a problem. You're not going to get a split like that. That's you know, just ha- you know, that's going to be pr- generally problematic. Okay, well that's that's good news, Mike. Thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. Mike Miller, K M R S Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, we're headed into Afton. Hi, Tom. How are you? Yeah, Tom, go ahead. I have uh, a huge oak tree growing on the west side of my home, and I've planted liriope around it. I've transplanted some from my neighbor's yard, and it's developed over the years. And I cut it way back last spring, and I think I made a mistake of cutting it at the wrong time. Uh, it exposed the earth, and a lot of weeds seemed to grow up before the liriope came back. The liriope did come back, but I was infiltrated with all these weeds, and I'm wondering, should I be cutting the liriope back at all? It's up to you. I mean, the liriope, the blades are going to turn brown, so it's an aesthetic call. You don't have to prune it, but you're going to probably have the weed problem whether you, you know, whether you mow it back or not. So uh, it's really a personal choice. Again, you don't have to do it. It's not a, for a health thing, and probably don't cut it too close because you could do some damage to the crown. So, in other words, where the blades come out of the, let's say, out of the root system, more or less. So, probably set your mower height to about between three and four inches, and don't cut it any closer than that. Very good. I thank you for the advice, sir. Yep, my pleasure. Yeah, liriope is a great ground cover. It has blue flowers, and uh, they've got. There's two major types. One's a clump grower. The other one spreads. So. If you want one that spreads, you have to get the Liriope spicata, and you got yours from your neighbor, so it sounds like you got the best one. So, Thank you very much for the advice and education. Sure. My pleasure. Now let's head from Afton to someplace fairly close, Sunset Hills, and go into James' yard. Hi, James. Good morning, Mike. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. I have two quick questions for you. First, I have several large, mature trees on my property. They're oaks and sweet gums and my question is is this a time of year where i can prune some of those and take some of the lower branches off and just raise the canopy a bit and second can you recommend any large trees that aren't surface root uh, types of trees like the maple the gentleman talked about earlier something that grows to a large size but doesn't have surface roots that are uh, possibly damaging to either other uh, sidewalks or patios. Well, some you know some of the trees are going to have surface roots. It, uh, you know, regardless, even if genetically they don't normally have, if the soil that they're being grown in is, let's say, the typical classic compacted clay soils, it's natural to this region. So that can have an impact on the root systems. So probably you're better off to maybe think about using some of the ornamental trees as opposed to you know some of the larger trees. But uh, as far as now, what was your first question was related to pruning several large oh. mature trees to yeah. raise the canopy? Yeah, anything except maples, beeches, and birch trees can be pruned during the winter time. Get the pruning done before the leaves start coming out. Perfect. All right. Thank you for the help today. Certainly, my pleasure. And again, longer branches. Make sure that you cut them off one third at a time, starting at the end. What you do by doing that is you cut. 
and prevent any kind of bark tear. If you just cut it right at the trunk, it could the weight of the branch as it falls can rip the bark, and that opens up a potential wound circumstance. Sure. Okay. Great advice. Thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to Troy, Missouri, and see what's going on with Tom. Hi, Tom. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So, so my question is regarding some trees that we have in our front yard that have some kind of boring insects in them, uh, and, and one of them is uh, a kind of spruce. They've got, obviously, a boring-type insect in them, and so much so with the spruce that the sap is actually coming out. We've been told that really the only remedy is that the trees have to come down, especially if we don't want those boring insects to spread to other trees in the yard. Can you give me your opinion on that? Well, basically, spruces don't have borer problems. So now what makes you think? Now, spruce trees, depending upon the size, they can ooze sap just, you know, kind of generally. Borers, for the most part, that are insect borers that damage trees, the holes are going to be in the bottom two feet or so of the trunk. So is that where the, these are located, or are these holes that are up higher in the, on the tree? No, these are actually higher. They're probably four or three to five feet high, and there's several of them, but they are kind of around the hole, but yeah. they're four or five feet high. Now, are these, are they, let's see, let's see, four or five holes together, are they kind of in a line? Uh some of them are, they're, they're grouped, definitely, and right. some of them are in a line. There's a number of them, though, yes. Right. To me, that says it's a sap sucker that's doing that damage, not an insect. Okay. A sap sucker goes, and then they drink the sap, and then they come back to that tree because they know that, you know, they've already bored some or hammered some holes in it. So this is not an insect problem. This is, a let's say, a bird problem. Okay. Is is it a problem for the tree? I mean, what potentially damages it and kills it? Or Well, generally, birds are smart enough. They know, I don't want to kill this tree because I like to drink its sap. So they know how to do it and not, I mean, I've seen some trees with a great deal of holes, but the tree seems to be doing fine. Okay. And and that they're higher up like that makes you think they're more tend to be the or not insects. Right, exactly. Boars, insect okay. borers are in the lower part of the trunk. Okay, very good. Thank you. Certainly. And now let's go to Ron, and Ron lives in Fenton. Hi, Ron. Hello, how are you, sir? Good. Uh, okay, I, my question relates to some use. Uh, we have been living in a house over 40 years, and we've had three sets of use uh, in the front facing facing west. Uh, the first set of ewes lived for 30 years and then needed replacement, and we replaced them. And the two sets we've replaced them with since in the last two years uh, have died. And we can't figure out what's, what's wrong. I've tested the pH of the soil, and it seems like it's, it's proper. Right. Uh, but we just don't know what's going on. What could have now? When you took the when the original use died, did you just cut them off, or did you get the root systems up out of the ground? We dug everything up. Okay, so probably you just needed to add some organic, you know, material to the ground, like compost and things like that, before you replant it. So it just sounds mm-hmm. like the soil 
just not is not quite up to snuff. And by kind of creating a raised bed, then that will improve the drainage, which you have to have a good drainage situation. You say, well, we had some that lived there for 30 years, but they acclimated to the circumstance. These have been brought in from the ideal world of a nursery and put into a situation that may not be as ideal. So soil improvement before you plant again is what I'd recommend. Okay, and then actually add some organic material so that it, it elevates above the Yeah, a couple inches the above the, the surrounding ground. ground, yes. Okay, and what kind of organic material? Like do you a recommend? compost, uh, you know, topsoil mix and blend it in with the existing soil. Okay, compost with topsoil blended mix. soil. Right. Okay. But make sure you do a good blending with a rototiller, not just spread it on top of the ground. Okay. What about uh, watering uh, after? And when's the, when's the best time to do this? Uh, basically, as soon as they become available at garden centers, you can you know plant them at that time and get it done before the summertime before it gets too hot. And watering just uh, I mean just water when you think it's you know it's dry more or less. You don't like a whole lot of water. Okay. Sorry, Ron. We got to go. Mike Miller, K M S Garden Hotline. Thanks to everybody for calling in. And, oh, I'm dreading this cold myself, so just stay warm, and I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.